I'm John Fort. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Fort and Deirdre Bosa. Today, a make or break week ahead for technology as key names like Microsoft, Apple, Google, Meta, and Amazon all report results. We'll talk about the key risks to watch out for this hour. And that's on top of results from nearly a third of the S&P as B of A warns, stay out of the networking names. We're going to discuss that. Finally, don't miss an exclusive with the CEO of Klarna this hour. His first broadcast interview since the company's valuation plunged 85% or almost $39 billion deep. And Carl, I'm back just in time for our Super Bowl. That is big tech earnings. That all kicks off this week. Pretty much every mega cap name you can think of, Alphabet, Microsoft, Amazon, Apple, and Meta, along with smaller but not small names. You've got NXPI, Shopify, Intel, and more. Nearly a third of the S&P, 40% of the Dow, is going to be reporting results this week. Dom Chu joins us now with the breakdown. Dom, I'm rested and ready. It is going to be a big one. It's absolutely going to be the Super Bowl, like you said, because this is going to be what constitutes the biggest influence on where we could see markets going with regard to the fundamental side of that equation, charts aside, macroeconomic conditions aside. But for the S&P 500, the make or break is not at all all dramatic. I mean, this is true because if you look at the S&P as we stand right now, since the highs earlier this year, we were down roughly 18% during that time span since those record highs. But that bounce that we've seen in just the last few weeks or so has added back roughly 9% to the overall market. So are we setting up for possibly a decent sized bounce given some more fundamental catalysts in the form of earnings reports? Well, if you look at the reason why it's so important, it's because for market cap weighted indices, and this is in huge here, for these mega market cap companies with Apple at two and a half trillion dollars, Microsoft at one point nine trillion dollars, Alphabet at a market cap of one point four, Amazon one point three and Meta four hundred and sixty billion dollars. We are talking about twenty one percent of the S&P 500's weighting that will report earnings at some point this week. So as go these stocks and the way that they trade, maybe the markets go along with them. And I should point out, by the way, for the large cap Nasdaq 100, this is a 40 percent weighting for just these five stocks. So that's the reason why it's so important for traders and investors. Now, the way that we are setting up going into these earnings for those big five that we just mentioned here, it's Apple and Amazon that have seen some of the biggest gains since the lows that we've seen. For Apple, since the lows here, we're talking about a roughly 19 percent gain off those lows. And for Amazon, it's been roughly 21 percent off those lows. So is the setup already starting to see something with regard to the fundamental picture in these two stocks? Now, for the other three, Microsoft and Meta platforms and Alphabet, the parent company of Google, the gains off the lows have been a little bit more modest here. Call it like six to eight percent. But here's what I want to call your attention to, John, Deirdre and Carl. This is the one here that's going to be a particular focus. Meta platforms right now, which has shed the most market value, is forecast to be among the more volatile stock moves on the heels of earnings. Right now, the options market is pricing in what could be a 10 to 11 percent jump or fall in the stock on the heels of that earnings report. All the other ones are roughly that 4 to 8% range. So, yes, that's big, but still, watch those meta platforms' earnings because it could, lo- it could lead to, at least, guys, a lot of volatility in that particular stock. I'll send things back over to you. Don, makes a lot of sense given the abrupt demand slowdown that Snap saw. Questions about how much of that will trickle across to the bigger names, namely Meta and Alphabet once known as Facebook and Google. Thanks, Carl. You know, these big names are important, 
But as investors set up for the trends that are going to affect them, we're actually going to get some pretty interesting data points uh, between now and our next show tomorrow. F5, right, is doing this transition between hardware and software. They've been demand constrained, so supply constrained, I should say. Uh, So we're going to get some sense of enterprise supply. Then we've also got Fiserv, the payment flow through them that's global. We're going to get a sense of consumer and, uh, you know, business demand. Then Logitech, right? Uh, Consumer hardware as well. They've been a bit supply constrained, but also a PC slowdown. How much is that affecting the things that connect to PCs, many of which Logitech makes? And then Christina was just mentioning NXP. You talk about, um, you know, the auto uh, area and industrial IoT, which has been strong, but is demand cooling off? Those things read through to the Qualcomm's the Intels, the Apples, and more. Yeah, that's why we call it Christmas in July, D. We're going to learn so much <laughs> over the next few days. Although, I will add, on an, at an index level, B of A today says the busiest week of earnings, meaning this comparable week, generally not that strong for the Dow, down eight of the last 10, NASDAQ down uh, seven of the last 10. Uh, but that doesn't mean there's going to be a lot of, a lot of things to find out. Yeah, but put another way, Carl, Nasdaq up 7.3% so far in July. Uh, Guys, I was a little surprised last week to see Netflix and Tesla kind of hold up amid disappointing earnings, better than expected. Those stocks have sold off a lot, but what is it? Netflix was up 17% last week, Tesla 13%, John. So perhaps Wall Street will take disappointing earnings in stride. That was supposed to be the next shoe to drop. But this week, the stakes are bigger than ever. Dom just ran through the weighting of these mega caps in the broader indices. So uh, this could be a make or break week, certainly. And, and don't forget about the Fed, right? We're expecting exactly. A, a rate hike, and we'll see what kind of color and commentary around that gets into the mix while we're looking at earnings as well. Joining us now with his expectations for this blockbuster week, perhaps we're to find value now, Spencer Raskoff, general partner at 75 and Sunny, co-founder of Zillow and Picasso. Um, Spencer, it, it seems to me like we're in this weird space of a shifting tension between supply and demand. So many places have been supply constrained, and now perhaps as supply is starting to loosen up, to loosen up we're wondering if demand is getting soft. Uh, what, what are you watching in that balance? Well, I mean, as it relates to ad tech, demand has been destroyed. I mean, we saw Snap and Twitter with terrible results last week. Obviously, Snap's stock price tanked. Twitter held up thanks to the deal that's in place. To give you a sense of just how much advertising demand fell off a cliff at Snap, they saw just 13% year-over-year revenue growth, which was a deceleration from 38% year-over-year revenue growth the prior quarter. And worse still, they announced that the first couple weeks of this quarter, they're seeing revenue down 30% year-over-year. So talk about demand falling off a cliff. That's a huge problem. What's happening in ad tech on the demand side is this macro meltdown of the last few months, which shut the IPO window and shut the late-stage growth window, that's impacting advertising spending. And not just spending on advertising, spending on hardware and all sorts of, you know, and and um, SaaS revenue, other things that are reporting this week. So just in my personal portfolio, for example, of about 100 venture funded companies, I've seen one reduced ad spend from 300 million to 75 million, one reduced ad spend from 80 million to 40 million, one reduced ad spend from 10 million to nothing. So a lot of the late stage growth venture capital, which ordinarily would fund digital advertising on Snap, Twitter, Google, Facebook, et cetera, that is is gone and companies are cutting back. So, Spencer, who's right? And and 
between the, the companies in your portfolio and the consumer, right? Because we were just hearing from a bunch of banks, boy, you know, maybe the consumer uh, should feel like they're in rough shape or the sentiment has tailed off a bit. But boy, they're still spending. They're spending down their savings. They're uh, putting some stuff on credit cards. The businesses aren't doing that. They're cutting their, uh, their marketing budgets, their ad spend. It seems like if they expected the consumer to keep spending, they would be spending advertising dollars to chase those dollars. So are businesses seeing something that consumers don't or are uh, businesses being overly cautious? Well, what, what you have to remember in that loop is burn. So a lot of these companies, even some of the big tech companies, they burn cash or they don't have that much cash flow. So they are reliant on the funding cycle to continue funding headcount growth, marketing spend growth, other expense growth. So you look at Twitter, for example, 47% year over year growth in R&D expense and basically headcount expense. And, and yet revenue was just crushed. So that's unsustainable. If you're Twitter, you are absolutely going to have to cut back more on expense, whether it's your own advertising or your own headcount because there's no capital available to you. And on the private side, it's even worse because the late stage growth market is shut. The IPO window has been closed for six months. It'll probably be closed for another six to 12 months. So without capital to fund those investments, those companies have no choice but to cut back, unlike consumers who can you know, keep spending at least for a while on credit. Hey, Spencer, on housing, I know uh, we, we've talked a lot about the reset that's taken place across uh, the sector, up and down uh, the chain. Uh, although the street, it's, it appears, is pretty confident that one way or another, the Fed's going to get inflation out, uh, back under control. Do you think enough damage has been done or are we just getting started? Well, I mean, there is optimism in the market that maybe the Fed, I think another 75, maybe 100 this week, that we're already starting to see an, the impact of the Fed rate increases. You, you are seeing housing coming down, you are seeing the price of oil come down, and, and generally there's optimism that in 2023, the Fed rate increases can finally stop. As it relates to housing, this supply-demand imbalance is, is rapidly um, uh, coming into order because demand in housing has fallen off a cliff as mortgage rates have gone up. And that's why you're seeing all of a sudden homes start to sit for a while on the market and you're starting to see home values start to flatten and in some markets actually decrease. So supply and demand is starting to come into balance, but housing has this, this huge problem, which is really unique to the housing sector of the economy, which is just a lack of supply, that home builders mm -hmm. haven't built enough houses coming out of the 2008 financial crisis. And so even though the, even though demand has declined, we just still don't have enough homes for uh, for people. So housing affordable, affordability mm -hmm. is terrible as mortgage rates have gone up, but we need more houses. We need builders to build more. Yeah, so Spencer, what does that mean for the housing stocks? Because as a sector, they've all seen this re-rating. Um, obviously, you were at Zillow for a long time. How do you rate the Redfins, the Zillows, the Compasses in this space? Uh, there's so much negativity in those stocks already. I think a lot of them have found their bottom. Um, at least I hope so. I'm long a lot of them, to be, you know, to be clear. Um, and, you know, one thing I think the market isn't really well enough focused on is they've kind of thrown the baby out with the bathwater on housing overall. Uh, there are a lot of these companies that actually do well counter-cyclically. Uh, Zillow, for example, did very, very well through the 2008 financial crisis. Why? Because real estate agents need a website like Zillow more. They need to advertise more when they have less business. It's when things are going great that they need Zillow less. So it's counter-cyclical, sort of like the online travel agencies that tend to do better during travel recessions because the hotels and airlines need the OTAs more for their distribution. So a lot of these stocks have been just sort of you know, thrown by the wayside uh, as housing sentiment has turned. And I think some of them are going to do very well through a recession. All right. Spencer Raskoff, 
Thank you. Thank you. Meantime, B of A warning more pain ahead for the networking stocks, a rare double downgrade for not one but two names in that space. We're going to discuss with the analysts behind that call in a moment as Tech Check is just getting started. Snap, Wall Street continues to feel a hangover from those brutal results on Friday. A rare double downgrade from Morgan Stanley on this name from a buy to sell this morning on top of a downgrade from buy to neutral from Wolf Research. MS warns the company's ad business is too underdeveloped to handle a weakening macro environment. And guess what? That is the 15th firm on Wall Street to downgrade the name since results. The stock today, Carl, trading at $10 a share after starting the year right around 47 bucks. We'll get a lot more clues into the digital ad market this week, Carl, with, with uh, Alphabet and Facebook Meta. Yeah, going to be huge, uh, huge conference calls for sure. Meantime, this big warning for enterprise names. Our next guest says deterioration is coming for those in networking, double downgrading Juniper and Arista to sell, forecasting some slowing orders and supply chain challenges this quarter. Joining us this morning is the analyst behind that call, Bank of America's Taliani. Tal, really interesting stuff. Basically, you're talking about slower spending concerns and, and project pushouts, even in areas deemed safe. Can you talk about that? Yes, uh, we need to consider a few things. Number one, the declines we've seen so far with stocks was, were more macro-related, not company-specific. We haven't seen yet the decline in spending. There is a forthcoming decline in orders. Um, estimates need to be revised down yet. We haven't seen all this stuff. So, so that's the, mainly the framework for our call uh, from last week. So it's not really execution here. You do see cloud spending slowing even into 23. It's not execution at all. Um, there are areas where if I say to investors that spending is coming down, um, there'll be a wide confirmation or wide agreement with me, such as networking. For example, Cisco already uh, uh, lowered the guidance for next quarter and for the year. However, there are areas like in cybersecurity where we distinguish between one cybersecurity area to another cybersecurity area. So, so let's talk about a few things. Number one, um, spending needs to come down. In 2008, Google reduced the spending or CapEx from 2.3 billion to 800 million. Cloud companies are responding to the uh, uh, enterprise, to the spending environment and are reducing spending. We haven't seen it yet. Number two, carriers. Carrier spending will come down. 2022 is a peak year for spending. And number three, even within enterprise, campus environment. There was investment in campuses because of return to the office. It's cyclical. I've been, I've been covering this space for over 20 years. After a big year, you're going to have a decline in spending. So, so the first thing to consider is that spending is coming down. The second thing to consider is that 2021 and 2020 were great years for ordering because of supply chain constraints. We've seen companies like Juniper reporting on 50% growth in, in orders in the last four quarters, almost in the last four quarters. Cisco, 30, 30, 30, and then eight. So, so four quarters of very strong order growth. This is the first quarter, 2Q of 2022. It's the first quarter that we are comparing 
a normal environment to a huge growth in orders, and you're going to see declines. You're going to see declines in everything related to hardware uh, kind of orders because of supply constraints. Now, there are areas where, again, investors are not going to argue with me, such as Juniper, such as Cisco. Mm -hmm. However, when I tell investors that we're also going to see it in cybersecurity because they sell appliances, they sell hardware-related areas, such as some parts of Palo Alto, some parts of Fortinet, that's where the disagreement is. And what I'm saying to investors is that basically the street or street expectations are not fully reflecting the decline in orders in certain areas. Um, and, and the associated trends will be a decline in, in, in the numbers, decline in expectations. So Tal, are you saying that cybersecurity stocks, they're vulnerable to the slowdown in spending? Absolutely, cybersecurity stocks, but not all cybersecurity is created equal. You have to distinguish between cybersecurity stocks that are selling cloud services, where there was no uh, increase in orders uh, associated with supply constraints, such as CrowdStrike and Sentinel-1 and, and Zscaler. These stocks are relatively safe in, in, when it comes to the spending environment. Um, and then you have the cybersecurity companies who are selling more traditional firewalls. And the, the claim I made in, the, in, in our note was that these areas that are mostly that we see demand for appliances, for hardware, these areas had seen massive increase in orders. Look at the product revenue line of Palo Alto in the last four quarters. It went up dramatically from the five quarters before that. These are the so areas where we could see declines. Tal, do you then think, extend this to maybe the, the mega cap companies, we're going to get Microsoft, Google. We know that especially Google has been spending a lot of money on cybersecurity. They've also got large cloud businesses. Are those vulnerable this quarter? First of all, cybersecurity spending uh, or cybersecurity uh, uh, investment of Google doesn't really move these stocks. They're not trading on cybersecurity. My concern is more with the smaller companies. My concern is more with the companies where expectations are not aligned with the forthcoming declines. Um, so when you come for, take for example Arista, which is not cybersecurity, it's networking. The consensus view of Arista is positive. Most of the calls I got on Wednesday and Thursday when we downgraded Arista or downgraded the space, we're on Arista specifically. That's my, where my concern is, that the street expectations are not aligned with the forthcoming decline in, in spending, and it cuts across networking and the areas of cybersecurity that are related to networking, not all areas of cybersecurity. In addition, and that's important, an important thing we said, we spoke with the big retailers. There was a, an industry conference recently. We spoke with the big retailers. They're talking about push-outs of, of certain projects in cybersecurity from beginning of 23 to the end of 23 and maybe right. 2024. The, these kind of push-outs, again, are not expected by the street. Well, Tal, I'm wondering about the impact of uh, companies that have been gaining share or have models that, that seem to leave them open to continued growth in this environment. I'm, I'm thinking specifically about enterprise demand, right? So Juniper has been gaining some share. Um, so, so there's that argument there. And then if you're talking about cybersecurity, CrowdStrike, I was just talking to George Kurtz a few weeks ago. He feels like their ability to, um, to upsell the customer through their kind of um, uh, efficient platform of allowing customers to try before they buy in certain features continues to work even in this economy. Are there certain companies that are better set up to see continued demand because of uh, their innovation? Yes, absolutely. I distinguish between cybersecurity companies who are selling in a cloud model where it's an OPEX item. It's not a CAPEX item. 
even if there is decline in, in spending, these companies sell on a recurring basis, on a subscription basis, and it's part of the operating expenses of their customers. Also, the market is migrating their way because it's cheaper to do it in a cloud business model rather than buy equipment, put it in your basement, and serve only five people that are in a small branch. As a result, I don't believe that there is much risk with companies who are selling on a cloud model. Hmm. For example, the Prisma product of Palo Alto, CrowdStrike, Sentinel One, uh, Zscaler. These, these companies have very defensible business models. I don't expect much of a, an impact there. I'm more so, worried about companies who sell appliances. So, and, and so I wonder if one affects the other. I was asking about this last week. I've got this idea of revenue volatility, right? Because you've got a market now versus the last serious tech downturn that we saw where there's so much that's on subscription or that's on a recurring basis, uh, will customers look to the things that are one-off purchases, that are appliances, perhaps the, the hardware segments of your F5s, of your Junipers, et cetera, and pull back even more on those than usual? In my view, yes. So we downgraded F5, we downgraded Juniper, we downgraded Arista because in these areas, I do believe that we are coming off a very strong cycle of deployment with the customers likely reducing spending across the board, whether it's carriers, cloud, or enterprise. Um, in the other areas where it's subscription, I believe that companies, you know, worst case scenario is that the growth rate will slow down rather than increase. And, and frankly, I've been covering this space for so many years, there is no absolute safe area. If spending is coming down, it's going to cut across the board. And you will see some companies with growth rates moderating and some companies with growth rates getting to negative territories or orders getting to negative territories. What's going to skew the number? And I'm, I'm looking through this. I, I, what's going to skew the numbers is the fact that companies have giant backlog because they couldn't deliver in the last four quarters. So you're not going to see a decline in, order, in, in revenues. You're going to see a decline in orders. Um, Arista, for example, doesn't report the orders. You're going to see a decline in deferred revenues. You're going to see a decline in bookings. You're going to see the decline somehow. may not be in revenues, but you'll see it in different areas. And in my view, investors will respond to the decline in orders or decline in, in deferred revenues rather than to decline in, in revenues. Right. That's, gonna, that's a key, uh, key differentiation. And we'll see how the street responds to some of these prints as they come in. Tell. Great, great report. Appreciate you expanding on it. Thanks so much. Thank you. Huge week ahead for the mega caps. Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, Facebook, Meta reporting results. The two names Wedbush says to buy here. That's next. Don't go away. what's happening at this hour. This is your CNBC News update. President Biden's symptoms are continuing to improve significantly following his COVID-19 diagnosis Thursday, according to the president's physician. Biden's predominant symptom now is a sore throat and all of his other symptoms are almost resolved. His doctor says Biden's pulse, blood pressure, respiratory rate and temperature all remain normal. 
The average price of gasoline in the United States has fallen over the past two weeks. The price fell 32 cents to $4.54 per gallon. Experts say the decline comes as crude oil prices fall. The price of the pump still $1.32 higher than it was this time a year ago. And Weber shares tumbling 20% this morning after the grill maker abruptly said CEO Chris Scherzinger is departing amid waning demand for its products in store and online. Weber named Chief Technology Officer Alan Matula as its interim CEO effective immediately as it searches for a permanent replacement. Weber says its performance was hurt by slower retail traffic as rising inflation and other pressures are weighing on consumers. Deal, Carl, send it back to you. All right, Seema, thanks very much. Big week of tech earnings is finally here, and it's going to tell us a lot about how the economy is doing, both from the demand side, the supply side, namely the impact of those disruptions across Europe and Asia. Alphabet, Microsoft, Meta, Apple, and Amazon all report. So what is the setup for those names? Joining us this morning, Webbush Securities Head of Equity Trading, Sahak Manwellian, is with us, likes Microsoft, and Palo Alto here, Sahak. It's great to see you. You know, people have been uh, assembling a lot of data points going into these prints, where do you think uh, that set of data points is the cleanest ahead of earnings? Yeah, thank you, Carl. So, you know, two names that we like here going into a very, very big week of uh, Q2 earnings here, Microsoft and Palo Alto, like you had mentioned. Microsoft's just a very strong cloud business. Um, they've sh shown some really robust numbers in a very tough tape. Stock trading around 27 times earnings, and we think the better uh, of, of uh, the better value in, in the mega, te mega cap tech complex and um, one of the best management teams out there with a decent technical uh, backdrop here. And, and Palo Alto, I mean, strong billings growth, uh, a shift to cloud has been a tailwind for them. Uh, the company will benefit from, from cybersecurity uh, growth outlook and uh, a real bright spot, we think, in the tech complex, which has been plagued this year by macro concerns inflationary pressure, supply chain overhang, et cetera. So um, an another one that we're really uh, bulled up on going into uh, Q2 earnings and, and coming out of. So Sahak, um, 27 times uh, earnings from Microsoft, I mean, for a nearly $2 trillion market cap stock and everything, seems kind of expensive to me, especially given the possibility of heading into a recession and the fact that you've got more personal computing and LinkedIn, aren't they exposed to uh, PC, you know, consumer slowdown and advertising slowdown? John, that's fair. 27 times, it's not necessarily cheap. But the way we're looking at and thinking about the group here is we want to be in the most, um, the, the most fundamental stories here. Tech sector up 8% this month versus the S&P at about 4.5% uh, outside of today. Growth stocks have certainly been outperforming. Um, Microsoft, one of the names that we think will better uh, shed any, any of the headstorms coming for uh, the more volatile names within the complex. And I think for something that um, gives you value in the management team um, and, and growth prospects, to your point in what is possibly a, a looming recession, um, stagflation, um, slowing growth, et cetera. I mean, I think Microsoft still offers a lot of value and we feel good about the stock trading at 27 times and still buying it at these levels, considering the, the, the growth in their cloud uh, division as well. 
Right. And Sahak, perhaps an advantage, too, in the fact that it's able to bundle something we've been talking about. Uh, Sahak, though, John brought up the idea of perhaps vulnerability in LinkedIn advertising. Amazon has also built a pretty big advertising service pretty quietly. Um, could that be a vulnerable point? Are investors baking that in enough when they look towards that set of earnings? Um, it, can, it certainly can be. We'll, we'll wait and see what happens with the print and what they say. I mean, digital advertising is, has been um, very, very messy. We saw that Snap was a, it was a disaster on Friday. And again, you know, we want to focus on the higher quality names here that, re, you know, remain in, in, in the tech complex uh, coming into and really coming out of uh, Q2 earnings and going into the, the end of the year. Um, but, but certainly th this is an area of concern. And um, again, we want to wait and see what, what they say uh, as, as to any of their advertising dollars. Sock, we're going to get service now this week as well. And there was quite a reaction to uh, Bill McDermott on Mad Money saying some things uh, about the macro environment and the impact even coming through for software names that have been growing quickly. Uh, how do you expect, based on what the market's been doing over the past few days since then, how, how do you expect the reaction to be to the earnings? Is it more of a bookings thing? Is it more of a guidance thing? That's a great question. So I, I think it's all about guidance and I think it's about forward guidance and, and just the sector rotation that we've seen um, out of defensives and into the more risk on assets, specifically tech and communication services. I think like that that's the story here for for Q2 earnings and to come out of Q2 earnings. It, it's, it's bifurcated within the tech complex. I think that we will see more uh, rotation into tech. Um, as, as tech is actually one of the improving uh, S&P sectors. And I think this has legs. And I think that the defensive sectors have been weakening those, um, namely pockets of healthcare, utilities, consumer staples, which were the first half leaders. Um, that playbook is changing. And the playbook's moving back into some of these uh, areas of tech where margin compression has come down so much, folks are able to take another look reset and, and look into the second half of this year. And I think Q2 earnings within you know this week and, and the next couple weeks here will, will play an important role uh, as, as to where, where we go in, in the tech complex. But I, I think what is clear is that tech will garner more and more mind share, especially as we've seen disinflationary forces. We've seen the yield curve flattening for the better part of four weeks now. And with the Fed on Wednesday, you know, this FOMC decisions for 75 basis points, probably that's what we get. If we do get that, we're more than halfway to what our Fed target is. And having said that, you know, much of the tough grind, I think, for the tech complex that we saw in the first half, we think that is now behind us. And in and, and, and looking into the second half of the year and into Q3 immediately, um, out of these Q2 prints, I, I think that people can get more and more sanguine about prospects of tech uh, near term and into 2023. Yeah, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see just how far out the market wants to discount uh, a changing Fed picture, if in fact that's what we're going to get in the coming months. So, Hawk, that was great. We worked our way through some good names. We'll see you again soon. Thank you again. And up next, buy now, pay later company Klarna. 
taking a big down round as public fintech companies have seen their own valuations crumble. We are going to be talking to the CEO about that, threats to the business model, competition, and what's next. That comes after the break. A check on the state of fintech. Buy now, pay later stock a firm has fallen by nearly three quarters this year. PayPal and Block, they have lost more than half of their value. This multiple compression, not just siloed to public markets, two of the most valuable private companies in the world, Stripe and Klarna, both slashing their internal valuations earlier this month by 28 and 85 percent, respectively. Joining us now to explain why, Klarna co-founder and CEO Sebastian Simiatkowski. Sebastian, thanks for being with us today. I know that much has been made of this haircut, so I want to look forward. What gets Klarna back to a 10, 20, 30 billion dollar or more valuation? How do we know that buy now, pay later and fintech at large wasn't in a bubble? Wow. Yeah, I think that's a great question. Look, in my, in my head, it's kind of straightforward in a sense, right? We've had this time period now for a few years where growth has really been heavily premiered by investors, and now they want to see profitability. The benefit we have with Klarna is that Klarna was profitable for its first 14 years of existence. It's only three years ago when we, or four, where we posted 14% EBITDA, right? So we have a billion-dollar gross profit business in Europe, and we have used the last few years to establish a massive business in the U.S. with 30 million users, with you know, uh, 30 of the top 100 U.S. retailers and tons of transactions. So now it's all about just turning it back to profitability, which is uh, something fortunately we know how to do. Yeah, Sebastian, as you have noted, uh, Klarna has been profitable for 14 years. That's all of the company's existence. But can you break out the U.S. business where you're expanding aggressively um, and there's a lot of competition? Are you profitable here? Uh, no, we're not, but it's also something that's very natural. So whenever we launch in a new market, we always have kind of two levels of growth. So one is new customer acquisition, another one is returning customers using the service more often, right? And what, you, what we know by history is that new customer acquisition is costly, costs a little bit more money, uh, and we see higher losses because we, it's harder to underwrite new customers. So uh, it's very normal for us. We've always seen the same trend in every market we launch. We launch 10, 10 markets that become profitable, UK being the previous one. Um, where, you know, it takes a little bit of time to go through that curve and then we turn it around. So to us, this is a very natural development and we feel very confident we're going to see the same uh, development in the U.S. Uh, Sebastian, hi, good to see you again. Um, I, I want to ask about two particular things and whether your model is shifting. One, when it comes to risk, you're talking about those new customers. Are you having to recalculate in a shifting economic environment, what kinds of, of a risk those people pose? And then when we were talking at the beginning of the year, you were talking about your relationship with retailers, your ability to drive demand to them, uh, the, the fact that you're letting them integrate your tech into their apps. How much more demand do you expect to see for that with your retail partners, especially if consumer demand just in aggregate isn't there as much and they have to try to drive it themselves? Sure. Look, I think uh, on the first question, what's interesting to see is like our business is so different than your typical credit card business. And a credit card business has $3,000 outstanding. They give you a big limit. They try to make you borrow as much money as possible at highest possible interest rate because that's how they make money. Our business is very different, right? Our average outstanding balance is $70. It's only outstanding for less than two months and you pay it off in installments. So there's no way you can kind of delay it and roll it over for a long period of time. And what we've seen over and over again, as, I, as you may remember, we, I took the company through the financial crisis of 2007. I saw that this model is so much better in a tougher economical environment 
than the traditional credit card model. Uh, and that's also why we post, you know, generally speaking, much lower credit losses than credit cards do on average. So it's low tickets, it's a lot of customers, and you borrow them in a very short period of time. And we're actually, we turn around our balance sheet 12 times a year. And if we change our underwriting model, it takes us two months for 50% of our balance sheet to be underwritten by the new model. So it's very, very unique in that sense. I think on the other side, what you're talking about, demand, I mean, it's incredible how fast part of that our business is growing. I think there's something unique that banks have not really explored, which is the tremendous amount of data that us as customers have decided to tr entrust them with, which basically tells you about what, what they're purchasing, where they're purchasing, what their brand preferences are. And if you build services that allows those consumers to benefit from that data and present brands and offers to them that are interesting to them, it's a tremendous opportunity. It's actually growing with Plana right now over 200% year on year. And I mentioned we have 30 of the top 100 US retailers. We have more than 50 of the top 100 US retailers using us for marketing services. So hmm. we're quite excited about that. I think that as, as people see like more stock and they want to see more demand, they'll utilize more of these services rather than less. Do you have to drive loyalty differently in that lower risk consumer in this environment, um, you know, kind of either similar to the way credit cards are, have done it. I mean, so, some consumers are already going to be tapped out on credit. So how do you kind of optimize for the ones that aren't? Well, yeah, that's a good. I mean, again, 40 percent of our transactions are actually debit. So I think a lot of ourselves as a third party network, similar to like Amex or PayPal, we're actually larger than American Express now in number of users globally. And so. And what sets us apart is the uniqueness of our data. We have SKU level data, information on what people are buying, not only the amount, but the actual item level, right? That allows us a unique opportunity to use that data on the benefit of our consumers and merchants to match them with new brands and offers. So I think like from a loyalty perspective, this industry, as much as it wants to tout itself, if you ask credit card people, they will say, people only care about cashback. That is such a simplification. There's so much innovation still to be had in FinTech. And to me, even though we're now right now seeing a downturn in fintech, I think it's a, I think it's temporary. I think it's what retail, you know, e-commerce went through in 2007, and it rebound back. And today we all see Amazon as a massive player. I think we're going to see a couple of Amazons in fintechs as well. At Sebastian, you guys raised so much money in such a short amount of time. And one of your biggest backers in the later rounds was SoftBank, um, the Vision Fund, which is known to push the envelope on valuation. Um, they invested in that round at nearly $46 billion for Klarna. How much encouragement did Masasan give you? And in retrospect, was it too much, too quickly? <laughs> well, look, I think they have been fantastic backers and supporters. I think it's, um, you know, the market has shifted here, right? There was a different environment six to 12 months ago, and now we see a different perspective and people are looking for different things. And I think, you know, every, every investor out there right now is kind of changing that perspective. To me, however, I have a very long-term view of what we're doing, right? I wanna, I've been doing this for 17 years. You gotta remember that. Fortunately, I was 23, so I'm only 40 so far. And so I hope to continue for a couple more decades. <laughs> but, but, but the point is that like, it's a couple of more decades and like, <laughs> These things are noise, right? They will turn up and they will turn down. I look at the fact that Amazon was, you know, $80 billion or whatever, 50, and then back at five after, you know, dot com. Yeah, but like, for, time, for, right? So I think it's for every that Amazon, for every Amazon, there was a bunch of Cisco's who never made it back or a bunch of companies that went bankrupt. Plus, Sebastian, <laughs> I like to hear you talk about decades more. Masasan, he's looking 300 years out, though. So you guys got a <laughs> similar long time frame. Thank you so much for coming on to talk to us. We'll talk to you again soon, I hope. Sebastian, see me Thank you for having me. Thank you.
Meantime, keep your eye on Squarespace today. It's in the red, but well off the lows after full-year revenue guidance came in short. Yet another victim of the strong dollar, something Goldman says we should be watching for, especially this week. We'll get more market action after the break. Stay with us. Gut check on Activision Blizzard. Moffat Nathanson upgrading to outperform this morning and keeping their $95 price target, saying the Microsoft deal announced six months ago will be approved. And with the stock trading uh, below 80 bucks a share, there's an easy 20% to be made buying it here. <laughs> easy. And waiting for the $95 per share that Microsoft is offering, calling it, quote, an uncorrelated opportunity. More tech check after this break. We think it's very important to have a relationship directly with the consumer. We think we have a lot of content and a lot of ability to be able to do that. Uh, the consumers want it. And so uh, we're very excited about what the NFL Plus is going to be. But it's really in an early stage. Um, I think uh, over the years you'll see that continue to grow. And it'll be a, a, an important opportunity for us to be able to speak to our fans directly. And so that's an important strategy for us going forward. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell there just a few weeks ago on the league's coming uh, D2C product. Today, we got the first version of that with the launch of NFL Plus, which right now will include preseason games, local and primetime games, and only audio for every out-of-market game. Those live games only available to stream on tablets and phones, not your TV, all for $4.99 a month. You have to think this app will look very different in its next iterations as exclusivity factors in and its broadcast deals with CBS, Fox and ESPN eventually expire. Not to mention the results of the NFL's $2 billion Sunday ticket package, which Amazon, Apple and Disney have all reportedly bid on. D and The Times argues Apple uh, being considered widely the top contender. Yeah, that's uh, it's going to be an exciting one to get. I know that our executive producer, Mark Gilbert, very excited about this, John. I wonder if there's a lot of people who for $4.99, this is an easy choice, but certainly in the longer run for NFL, it gives them a little more leverage when they're negotiating these contracts. If they have their own platform, if they can do this right, get the subscribers on board. Does it, though? I wonder, because people are still paying a lot of money for live sports. Uh, and... and uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the consumer, five years ago, the NFL, let's just say, was in a way different position. How much exposure to the women of the consumer do they want? Uh, how much are they willing to invest in a consumer platform yeah. for long-term growth and sacrifice the millions or billions of dollars that some of these partners would be willing to hand them? We'll see when, uh, when these other provisions kick in just how much they invest in this. I don't know, Carl. Uh, I, I would argue the league is dealing from a possession of st strength, uh, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they try to maximize that strength for sure. Yeah, we'll see. Everybody was down on movie theaters till Top Gun Maverick came out. Uh, <laughs> looking for more content, speaking of, on the go? Well, there's the NFL, but there's also the Tech Check podcast. You can listen anytime, anywhere, wherever you download podcasts. Tech Check on TV, back in a moment.
One more thing before we go. Actually, a few more things in the Musk universe. First, Tesla's crypto impact. The company is out this morning with a new SEC filing reporting $170 million worth of impairment losses on its Bitcoin holdings for the first half of the year. That said, though, Tesla also saw some gains from sales of crypto, approximately $64 million during that period. Some other headlines from that filing, a billion-dollar increase in the company's capital spending guidance and news that a second subpoena has been issued related to Musk's go-private tweets back in 2018. Tesla down slightly after a pretty good week last week. He is a busy man, John. Yes, and his, the performance of his good decisions so far running ahead of his bad decisions, Carl, and that, I mean, speaking of arbitrage, you know, when you're talking about ATVI and is it cheap here, uh, so much of dealing in Tesla and some of these other ventures is how much faster are uh, Elon's uh, good decisions running ahead of his bad ones? Uh, well, certainly um, the CapEx, as Dee said, uh, relatively encouraging. They were looking at six to eight or five to seven billion this year, in the next couple of years, moving that up to six to eight. And then, Dee, we don't talk about SpaceX a lot. Uh, in its pre-public life, but 32 launches is going to break the yeah. record for a calendar year. Uh, so there, there are successes to be counted. There are. We, there's a lot of distractions out there. But as John said, I think you put it quite well, John, that his successes are outrunning a lot of the um, distractions. I, I don't even know what to call them. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you can call them something a little bit different every week. Uh, Twitter certainly had uh, some things to call them last week when it had earnings, and we will look forward to seeing how the rest of the digital ad market Carl performs this time. Yeah, interesting to get the comments of Michael Nathanson and some others this morning. So let's get this busy week underway. The halftime begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern.